Scared to death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, sir. Couple quick announcements, and then uh, a lot of horror. I heard a rumor. And by rumor, I just mean you told me <laughs> that you have a lot of stories for us today. I do. I do. I have four stories today. Ooh, I can't wait to hear uh, what you can preview about them. Uh, first, real quick, couple announcements. A super cool new Swamp Monster tee in the merch store this week. Features a rather large hairy beast uh, with red eyes lurking in the dark for shadows. Very kind of dark, moody depiction. I like it for camping. I want some mm. to wear camping. Yes. So head on over to badmagicmerch.com. At least check it out. At least check out the artwork. I know. Logan's so talented. It's annoying. <laughs> and then the the book presale. Yep, yep. Don't forget the books are still on presale. The presale ends August eighth, so you've got just a little bit over a week to get those books. If you feel like you're going to need it for spoopy season, this is the only way to guarantee that you will get your book before Halloween. Otherwise, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe you'll get it. Maybe you won't. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Oh. <laughs> uh, also, if you want to check out the comedic side of me. I've uh, been releasing two stand-up clips a week now for oh, a few boy. months on TikTok. Lindsay's been hearing a lot about TikTok. Dan's a TikTok star. At, at Dan Cummins Comedy. Uh, yeah, we're doing we're doing pretty good. It's been pretty funny because Dan mm-hmm. doesn't really care about social media just like anybody else. You know, like too much is too much. But because there has been such explosive growth, he's like, can you check my TikTok? Like we'll be driving somewhere. <laughs> and he goes to pick up his phone. I'm like, da, 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 da. And then I grab it. He's like, okay, but just like, what am I doing on TikTok right now? Yeah, I, what I do love it is it's just stand-up clips. Mm-hmm. And so it feels very pure to me, just like the artsy side of me where yeah. I'm like, you know what? Uh, you you work hard to make these jokes and then you put them out there. And yeah, you know if they're working or not live for the audience. Mm-hmm. But then you can tell yourself like, well, maybe just in the moment. Uh, and especially once they've been a couple years old, it's like, yeah, well, maybe they just work for that time. Yeah. But then when you throw them back up on a, like a new platform and they go viral, it's like, oh, okay, still funny. New people finding them funny, which always feels good. You are, in fact, a funny guy. Well, thank you. Well, you're welcome. And now um, you have donation uh, information. Yes, yes. So this month, uh, we had wanted to donate to the victims of the recent mass shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde. And now, adding to the list, the shooting in Highland Park this 4th of July weekend. Uh, in order to make the money go as far as possible, we decided to donate to a general fund, the National Compassion Fund, whose mission is to give funds to the victims of mass casualty crimes, such as mass shootings. Our donation amount this month from Bad Magic is 14600 with an additional $1,632 being set aside towards the forthcoming scholarship fund that we'll be talking about late this year and will be open in January for applicants. If you'd like to donate uh, to the National Compassion Fund, you can visit nationalcompassion.org to learn more or donate. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. And now, uh, what can you tell us about these four stories you have for us today? Okay, number one. Here, I'm just going to read you what I wrote and see how it goes. Okay. Number one, a figure runs into the road. Is it a skinwalker? Number two, a possible ghost sighting in the woods. Number three, a creepy school bus sighting at night. Number four, the dentist's wife trying to connect to the now. 
The dentist's wife. The dentist's wife. So, you know, get ready. Because everybody loves the dentist. <laughs> I do. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> you do. You I go to the dentist. I love going to the dentist. Uh, I would get my teeth cleaned every week if I could. <laughs> I I have uh, two, and it's going to blow your mind. I have two stories this week. I almost fell out of my chair. Uh, two historically documented tales centered around restless spirits. Uh, the first is the more documented documented of the two. Uh, I'll be taking everyone to the late 1930s and to the greater London area of England to examine the haunting of Alma Fielding. In 1938, Alma, a 34-year-old housewife in Thornton Heath, southern suburb of London, went to the press complaining of a poltergeist having invaded her home. Soon, many, many people witnessed intense paranormal activity centered around Alma. But were any of them able to help her? The second story is the tale of a 19th century South Carolina woman who seems to have suffered an incredibly tragic death. She was accidentally buried alive. Oh my God, I have such a fear of that. Oh, this is bad. Uh, does the ghost of Julia Laguerre oh my God. still haunt her family's tomb on Adesto Island, South Carolina? Okay, I'm going to make a note right now mm -hmm. to talk about a TV show where there was being buried alive and it freaked me out. Okay. Okay. Woo. Locked and loaded. Locked and loaded. Number two over here. Got it <laughs> written down. Uh, are you ready to begin? Uh, are you going to show your socks? Then we can get into some, some historical setup. I've never been so ready for a story in my entire life, Dan. <laughs> Great. Okay, I have new socks this week yeah. from a fan, Stephanie. I don't know if you guys can read it, but it says, I fucking love it out here. Oh, uh, that's cool. And I feel like these are probably also appropriate for camp, which is yeah. coming up real soon. So... It is funny to me how we were talking about this in Missoula recently when we went there for a little weekend getaway and about how into some boutique shops. And it's funny to me how profanity usage, the acceptableness of it uh, changes over time, goes totally. in and out. And right now I noticed in like this little shop and it was like a nice like I, oh, geared dang towards it, I forgot women. to go back there. Oh, yeah. Primarily uh, geared towards women. Um, what was the name of that that shop? I don't know if you're okay. in. Uh, it's on Main Street. It's uh, next <laughs> It's next to the Crystal Limit. Of course, I would remember where the Crystal Limit <laughs> is and uh, Mary's Mountain Madness Cookies or whatever it is. But it's like J and K. It's some initial thing. Okay. And, and they yeah. have like coffees. Like it's very like um, Japanese minimalism. Oh, okay. And, and then there was also the shop that you bought the clothes at uh, a little further down the road that had a bunch of uh, profanity on like greeting cards and things. Oh, yeah. That's Betty's Divine. Betty's, Betty's Divine. Divine is awesome because in the front half of the shop, it's real funky. Y'all, I bought some blue corduroys there but then in the back of the shop is vintage it's a, it's a cool combo yeah and a lot of those um uh like those shops those little boutique again boutique shops like geared towards you know primarily women sometimes geared towards you know uh not necessarily college age or younger but like older than that have just tossed around like fuck motherfucker and then even cunt on these cards i'm like okay time yeah times have changed my 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 not not such a rebel dotty to throw oh, around these words i know i know but still <laughs> Okay. You know, you know, I've been a fan of profanity for a long time because <laughs> sometimes that is that's the word. You There's need. no other words. OK, so here I get to the historical setup uh, during the interwar period between World War One and World War Two. Spiritualism was rife in Britain. Millions had recently lost loved ones, mostly young loved ones struck down in what should have been the very beginning of their adult lives. And thousands were discovering that attempting to contact them through a medium, while it didn't bring an end to their grief, it was at least comforting. The spiritualist movement had become immensely popular, so much so that reporters were constantly on the lookout for the next ghost story and even encouraged readers to write in with their own, much like we do here with you, our listeners on Scared to Death. On the 20th of February, 1938, one such newspaper ran the headline, Terror Night in Home Wrecked by Ghost. The feature took more space than an article on Hitler in the corner of the same page. 
The story centered around a local woman named Alma Fielding. In a small suburban house in Thornton Heath, in the London borough of Croydon, Alma resided with her husband, Les, their 16-year-old son, Donald, and a lodger named George. Alma was a popular woman in her community, known to be kind and very friendly. As a child, she had once dreamed of becoming an entertainer and had even been taught circus skills, but then an accident left her with permanent physical disabilities. Alma, Alma also struggled with kidney issues and had been through multiple surgeries prior to the events of today's story. Her husband, Les, had left school at the age of 14 to become a painter and now owned a rather successful business, and their son, Donald, worked with him as his apprentice. The family lived a completely normal life. They weren't well off, but they weren't poor either. They were comfortable, a good, happy life before something strange began to terrorize them. Time now for the tale of the haunting of Alma Fielding. At the start of February 1938, Alma was over at a friend's house playing cards. She'd left Les at home in bed recovering from dental surgery. During the card game, Alma felt a very sudden intense pain in her pelvic region and excused herself to go home for the night. Then, as she walked into her front room, she stopped, seeing something odd in the periphery of her vision. On the mirror, on top of the mantle, was a handprint. But it wasn't an ordinary handprint. It had six fingers. Alma, spooked now and already not feeling well, quickly moved to the house to her bedroom and crawled into bed next to Les, who was thankfully awake. She told him what she'd seen, and he surprised her by telling her that he had seen the same thing, but not at home, at work. A six-fingered handprint had kept appearing in the green paint he'd applied to the walls as if it were following him around the house that he was working on. Alma couldn't tell if she felt better or worse knowing that. Most likely worse. She almost wished Les had told her that she was seeing things. That would be preferable than to being followed and watched by an entity able to make physical contact with objects in this world. The couple saw no more handprints in the coming weeks and then tried to put the whole thing behind them. But late one night, while they were sleeping, Alma and Les were startled awake by the sound of a shattering thump. Les flicked on the bedside lamp, saw that his glass from the bedside table had somehow flown across the room and smashed into pieces. Before either of them could begin to process how the glass had been tossed across the room, a second glass flew through the air, smashing against the same bedroom wall. And then, directly following the sound of its shattering, the lights in the house all cut out, and the temperature in their room plummeted, surrounding them in an icy chill. Alma screamed as the covers were next ripped off their bed. Les shouted, and then their boarder, George, and their son, Donald, ran into their room. Turn off the light! Les shouted. Or turn on, excuse me, turn on the light. Donald and George tried, but found that the power had been completely cut off to the entire building. And then Donald and George, still standing by the door, were both struck in the head by various objects flying through the darkness across the room with them. They would later find out that these objects were a tub of face cream and loose change. Then the energy in the room seemed to lose what it felt like its electrical charge, the temperature returned to normal, and no more objects were inexplicably tossed about. The source of the power outage were some tripped fuses. They were reset, the lights turned back on, and after the four incredibly spooked people in the home tried to sw uh, wrap their heads around what they had just experienced, everyone reluctantly returned to their rooms where they laid awake and wondered what had just happened, and where they hoped nothing more would happen before finally falling asleep. The next morning, an exhausted Alma got up to make breakfast, as she usually did. As she was preparing the food, still rattled from the night before, the egg she was about to cook lifted itself up and smashed against the wall. Alma screamed and prepared for mayhem. But that morning, nothing else would take to the air. No temperature drop or nothing else that seemed paranormal. She now decided to call the local paper, the Sunday Pictorial, as they'd been asking readers to send in their stories of ghosts and hauntings. 
Alma will later claim she didn't want the publicity, but instead hoped that the reporters could direct her to someone who might be able to help her and her family. Alma called the pictorial, begged their news desk, come to my house. There are things going on here I cannot explain. Two reporters, Victor Thompson and Lionel Crane, agreed to do as she'd asked. They came to the house on February 19, 1938, to investigate these claims. When Alma opened the door to greet Victor and Lionel, the reporters were greeted by an egg flying down the hallway and landing at their feet. No one stood in the area from which it had appeared to have been thrown. Whatever entity was in the fielding home clearly was not worried about some publicity. When the reporters walked into the kitchen, a pink china dog rattled threateningly. A can opener then flew through the air. The reporters, shaken but not yet terrified, continued to explore the home. Later in the parlor, a teacup and saucer lifted out of Alma's hands and split apart in midair. Moments later, a second saucer exploded in her hands and sliced her thumb. Next, as she was bandaging herself, a wine glass flew out of a locked cabinet and shattered on the floor. Another egg flew into the living room. Finally, a large chunk of coal rose from the grate, flew across the room, and nearly hit one of the reporters. Les, Don, and George were home, but it was obvious from where they stood that they were not the cause of these disturbances. The reporters had now seen enough and wanted to leave. They published their story in the next day's paper. An excerpt from their report read, Two pictorial representatives, Victor Thompson and Lionel Crane, yesterday spent the most amazing night of their lives in a neat little house in Thornton Heath. They saw miracles brought a brought about by some malevolent, ghostly force. They saw saucers held at a woman's hand, exploded into smithereens by some invisible power. Eggs, saucepans, fenders, jugs, wine glasses, coal, and a score of other things sailed through the air before them and apparently sometimes right through closed doors, propelled by no human force. Nandor Fedor, an infamous Hungarian journalist turned paranormal investigator now living in London, was intrigued by this story. Having previously worked for the owner of the Sunday Pictorial, he was given Alma's information to ask if she would be interested in having him over to further investigate. Alma agreed, and he promptly sent his assistant, Boris Evans, to have a preliminary look around the house. Mr. Evans was able to quickly verify from Mr. Fedor that the claims of the fieldings were indeed very real. He'd report that his first paranormal experience in the house happened while the fieldings were giving him their initial tour. They'd all just walked upstairs when he was startled by a loud crash coming from the downstairs living room. Two friends of the fieldings were in the back room of the house. They, too, heard the crash. Everyone ran towards the sound of the disturbance, and then the parties met in the hallway. When they opened the door to the living room, everyone present found a large glass salad bowl smashed to pieces. Alma then gave Boris a list of all the damages that had occurred in the past 72 hours since the activity began. 36 glass tumblers, 24 wine glasses, 15 egg cups, 5 teacups, 4 saucers, 1 salad bowl, 3 light bulbs, 9 eggs, 2 plates, 1 pudding basin, 2 water jugs, 1 jar of face cream, and a milk jug. The poltergeist activity, or whatever was happening, was causing significant and expensive damage to the fielding's possessions, in addition to the stress it was putting everyone under. Boris communicated all of this to Nandor Fedor, who arranged to visit the family just two days later, Thursday the 24th of February. He arrived at 11.30 a.m. to find the fieldings absolutely exhausted. Alma showed him her collection of now broken china. Fedor pulled out his own tumblers, which he placed on the mantel. He wanted to see if the entity would break them. A loud bang behind him soon caused him to take his eyes off these tumblers. Turning to look around, he found a broken alarm clock next to the living room door, which had been damaged by the force of the blow. Alma confirmed that the last time she'd seen the alarm clock was on her bedside table that morning. 
While nothing would break his tumblers, he soon witnessed many other strange, seemingly paranormal events, like the clock flying into the door. Fedora decided that Alma was the center of the activity and believed Alma could be a medium, able to not just be tormented by poltergeist activity, but also able to communicate with the entity behind the activity. He invited her to join some seances at the Institute for Psychical Research, for which he was the sole investigator and only paid employee. Founded in 1934, the Institute consisted of a number of volunteers determined to prove the existence of spirits. Fedor was heavily involved in the paranormal investigation scene in England. He was a member of the Ghost Club, London Spiritualist Alliance, even had friends in the Fairy Investigation Society. Fedor also wrote articles for The Light, a spiritualist weekly publication. Fedor did believe in the supernatural, but despite how immersed he was in so many paranormal groups, he was also a skeptic. He'd recently been studying the ideas of Sigmund Freud and believed that a lot of supposed supernatural phenomena was the unconscious mind projecting itself. He still wasn't sure that paranormal events were the results of ghosts or the activity of any other type of spirit. Alma attended the Institute with him the next morning and was strip searched before she entered to be certain she hadn't snuck something in with her to pull off any sort of con. When it was determined she'd brought nothing with her that she could perhaps use to fake evidence of something paranormal, everyone present gathered in a big circle in the seance room. Glass tumblers with flashbulbs inside of them had been laid out around the room, none of them within reach of Alma. Not long into the seance, everyone was shocked to see a brass hairbrush fall into the middle of the circle, seemingly materializing from thin air. Alma confirmed this was her hairbrush and had been in her bedroom at home before she came over. Immediately after this happened, the cup and saucer Alma was holding in her hands exploded and tiny shards of china flew around the room. Important to note, Alma did not crush the cup or saucer in her hands, which would have been incredibly difficult, and she didn't slam it down against the floor. The shards exploded outward, something that would have been impossible for her to fake. The researchers were thrilled, and Alma was invited back to the Institute regularly. Many other items materialized during Alma's future session, sessions at the Institute. Items far too large for her to smuggle in. A uh, diamante, diamante brooch, an oil lamp, even lar uh, living creatures, a white mouse, a scarab beetle, and even a Javanese sparrow. Fedor reported she seemed, able, she seemed able to astrally project herself from Croydon to Kensington and back again and to open herself to spirit possession. Fedor used voice recorders, telephones, cameras, x-rays, chemical analysis, hypnosis, and word association tests. He analyzed Alma's dreams. He deliberately tried to entrap her in ways where he could then expose her as a fraud, but she never took the bait. She never did anything that gave evidence that she was somehow faking what they were witnessing. In 1938, Fedor told a reporter for London's Daily Mirror, There is a door which leads from the mind we know to the mind we do not know. Now and again that door is opened. Strange things happen. There are manifestations, queer phenomena, transfigurations. There are, it is plain, strange forces about us of which we know practically nothing, just as once we knew nothing of electricity. My assistant and I have spent most of the week at the house. There is certainly no fraud. We are satisfied there is something supernatural at work there, and we are going on with the investigations. The Daily Mirror article ended with, It is a genuine and amazing case of the supernormal. This article drew more public interest in Alma Fielding and the poltergeist activity around her. Curious onlookers and reporters for additional publications were now frequently gathering around the Fielding home. A professor named Maurice, who considered himself a psychic, was one of those onlookers and came forward to offer his services and was taken inside. 
Professor Maurice concluded that Alma herself was a strong, sensitive empath and a carrier of ectoplasm. He said that the paranormal activity around her was a warning that her son Donald was in danger. Upon hearing this, Donald was sent away to stay with some friends of the family for a while. Additional reporters were now invited in to investigate the claims and see for themselves if there was any truth to them. Some would even stay the night in Donald's room. All the attention added to the stress of the situation for the family, no one knew how to bring an end to this activity. Les became worried, seeing his wife's mental health deteriorate as the days and weeks progressed. One particular night, he voiced his concerns to Alma, and the poltergeist responded by throwing his slippers into the fire. <laughs> he was getting scared. Where was all of this heading? In March, the members of the Institute for Psychical Research decided on a change of scenery for the day and took a trip with Alma to the seaside to see what the poltergeist would do in an outdoor environment. Before they made it to the beach, Alma told them about something especially peculiar that had just happened to her the day before. She said she had been out shopping with a friend and they were perusing a local jewelry store when Alma tried a ring on that she decided not to buy. She slid the ring off her finger, handed it to the shop assistant, and then she and her friend left the store. But then a few minutes later, as they were walking down High Street, her friend noticed something on Alma's finger, the ring she tried on, the ring they'd both watched her return to the jeweler. Fedor was fascinated by the story and handed Alma an empty film canister to put in her pocket. He challenged the poltergeist to make a ring appear in the canister. The group then walked around the small seaside town until they found a jewelry store and they had Alma try on a ring. Everyone watched as she handed the ring back to the shop assistant and then they left. A short time later, on their way back to the tram, a rattling was heard coming from Alma's pocket. Sure enough, when she opened the film canister, there inside was the ring, the exact one she tried on in the shop. Blown away, the group walked back to the jewelry store, returned the ring before ending their research for the day. Meanwhile, Les was becoming increasingly concerned about his wife's welfare. The poltergeist was now growing violent. It had begun scratching Alma. Small, bleeding scratches began appearing all over her body. Les believed the Institute was worsening the situation instead of actually trying to help the family, that they were using his wife as some sort of paranormal guinea pig, more interested in witnessing unexplainable events than they were in her or her family's safety. It all seemed like just a game to them, but it was a nightmare for him, his wife, and their son. Not long after the experiment at the beach, the Institute voted Fedor out. They weren't impressed with his investigation techniques, and they accused him of focusing more on the psychology around the cases than on trying to prove any kind of paranormal phenomena. Les now convinced his wife to be done with Fedor as well, and the Fieldings took a much-needed break from media attention and paranormal investigators. What happened to them over the next year seems to have been lost to history. What we know is that when World War II broke out for England in the fall of 1939, the Fieldings moved to the coast at Branscombe, East Devon. Les and his son Don joined the Home Guard and Alma volunteered as a nurse. Don then enlisted in the Army in 1943 and served as a dispatch rider. Les became a constable with the Royal Marine Police. After the war, Alma and Les continued living in Devon. Financially, they weren't doing as well as they had done when our story began. They had no phone, no plumbing, no electricity, but they were happy. They almost never spoke with reporters. Alma would claim years later that she continued to experience poltergeist activity, but that the majority of it died down after the family's move. In the 1960s, Les suffered a heart attack, and he and Alma moved to a small cottage in the middle of Branscombe. Les died in 1973, and then Alma moved in with her son Don and his family for a while before moving back to Devon in 1974 and then passing away in 1976. Before she passed, did Alma and her family ever fully resolve their paranormal troubles? As with so many of these paranormal stories, we just don't know. We know that they didn't die for many years, 
that they were able to contribute to Britain's war, war effort, that they were able to hold down jobs and care for themselves, so we can at least assume that the activity did not grow much worse and more violent. We can hope that, removed from the media and paranormal investigation attention, the activity calmed down and possibly even went away entirely. What we'll never know is why it began in the first place, what it actually was, and whether or not some strange six-figured entity, six-fingered entity, could maybe one day decide to terrorize someone new if it isn't already. Interesting. I, can, I wrote <laughs> that down too. Uh, was anyone actually helping her? I don't feel like she got any help. No, it is interesting. I mean, again, I know it's wild, I know, cool, and interesting. I know, I know. There is no other words. We need a different word for interesting. That's the hardest one. It is because fascinating sounds a little bit too much. What I like about interesting is it's not fascinating. Sounds like um, whoa, like, whoa, my god! Like yeah. like you're blown away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to interesting, it's like hmm, hmm, it's interesting. that's interesting. Peculiar is too archaic. I like it's, peculiar. Yeah, but if I was saying that, if someone was saying peculiar, well, well, that's peculiar. Well, that's odd. Ah, odd, yeah. No other word. Okay, anyway. Okay. But um <laughs> So tell me what's weird. <laughs> well, I would just just going with what you're saying is, you know, a lot of these stories, I would I too would question the motives of the people around. Mm-hmm. Where it's like if I'm a paranormal investigator who's been desperately looking for strong, definitive proof of the paranormal for right. years and years and years. Uh, am I going to like, you know, or, or, or is a certain person going to string along a family to try to get more evidence? I think I so. Think, yeah. I think the, the motive is pretty clear there. Yeah. And even if they're making it worse, I can see how, you know, this human ability to rationalize is strong in almost all of us. Uh-huh. And they can just be like, well, I mean, I'm not, you know, there's no proof that I'm making it worse. And, you know, and this, this additional paranormal activity could hopefully lead to some kind of resolution. Like you could convince yourself mm-hmm. that what you're doing isn't nefarious when you actually are making things worse this family because because you so badly want uh, you want more activity. Yeah. You want more like, yep, that is definitely what's going on here without a doubt. You want to be the discoverer of that. Mm-hmm. So I think Les's concerns were very valid. Very, very valid. And it sounds like it didn't really uh, have any resolution. Not that we know of. I mean, it, that, that could have been, maybe it did and it just wasn't documented, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they never came and spoke publicly and said that there was. I know, which sort of bums me out after all that time of dealing with it and putting up with it and being scared and mm-hmm. having, you know, all these different people come to your house and yeah, you think that you're calling in help, but right, I don't know. Stirring things up. Yeek. I got a few pictures. Okay. First one's old photo of Alma Fielding from around the, the time of this activity. Oh, she's so cute. Yeah, she is. And uh, this next one is the cover of the February 20th, 1938 Sunday Pictorial. And so you can see, I mean, it's hard to see without zooming in, but like terror night in home wrecked by ghosts next to the lady doing that kind of dance move. I know. It's uh, a weird cover. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's little fine print. I can't remember exactly what it says, but basically it sounds like she was part of some uh, uh, dance, like some kind of theater show. Yeah. And uh, they were just like, you know, looking good, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, there's the little Hitler article in the, the bottom, but the article about, the Terror Night in Home, Wrecked by Ghost, is the biggest article on the front page. Mm-hmm, hmm mm-hmm. And then this next picture is just the ghost hunter, that Nandor Fedor. The, the mystery seeker. I just want you to know that when you said Nandor, my brain chopped his name into Nando, and then I was thinking about Nando's chicken. Yeah, the South African chicken place? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking Some about per- chicken for about 10 minutes. Peri-peri sauce? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I don't think I really had any other... Questions or or notes? Oh, when you um, 
oh, you were talking about there's something they were going to the the seaside. I was like, oh boy, this thing's about to drown her. I got oh. very nervous for a minute. Yeah, that'd be a twist. Mm-hmm. I thought like, oh, it's gonna pick her up and throw her in the ocean, and she <laughs> is a goner. Yeah. I know, I know. I also learned a new term in that uh, yeah. story: supernormal. Yeah, I uh, I feel like that's an. Like, yeah, definitely a variation of supernatural, yeah. paranormal, but maybe I don't feel like that's been in common usage for a long time. So maybe there was an era where people, because I've heard it before, but I can't remember where. Really? But yeah, supernormal, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I Which wanna... I guess is just a synonym for paranormal or close, synonym adjacent. Yeah, not... It's extra normal, supernormal, more than normal. But it's not normal. I think that's the thing that is like throwing me about is it's like it's not super normal. Like I would say to my kids like, oh, yeah, it's like super normal to get a wart on the bottom of your foot when you're a kid who runs around barefoot all the time. Maybe super had different kind of uh, usage back then. Must have. Where it meant uh, in addition to like like next to normal as opposed to the most normal. Nearly normal. Yeah. Okay. You ready to move on? Yeah. I think almost probably ready to move on too. Oh, also six finger, six. Six finger handprint. Yeah. That was weird. Very unusual detail. Mm -hmm. Because that also doesn't even feel like an alien. Right. Okay. That's all. Time now to visit the story of a spirit that does not seem ready to move on, perhaps due to the way she died. But before sharing the sad tale of the ghost of Julia Laguerre, first a word from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to those sponsored deals, creeps and peepers. Uh, Plenty of time to settle in for this one. Funerals represent finality and provide an opportunity to say goodbye to our loved ones. But what if it wasn't time to say goodbye yet? What happens when a life ends too soon? Oh, my God. Is it possible that the person stays behind to remind others that they haven't gone anywhere? Many believe that this is what happened to the spirit of Julia Laguerre, a woman who died more than a century ago on Odesto Island, South Carolina. Time now for the tale of Buried Alive. Julia Georgiana Seabrook Laguerre was born on November 18, 1829. She died on April 15, 1852, at the age of only 23. Julia grew up on the Seabrook Plantation, about three miles from the Presbyterian Church where she'd be buried. Her father was Captain William Seabrook, a wealthy cotton baron. Captain Seabrook had been born in Odesto on February 15, 1773, to parents John Seabrook and Sarah Lawton. At the age of 17, William took over the family plantation. He also owned the Odesto Island Ferry, which transported passengers from Charleston to Savannah, Georgia, and to some of the other sea islands. Seabrook had several children from a first marriage— It was his marriage to Elizabeth Emma Eddings that led to the birth of Julia. Julia's siblings were Robert, Joseph, Martha, Carolina, and Emma. Back when death for the young was far more common than it is today, Julia was one of several siblings to die during their youth. Julia's brother Robert died shortly after her in October of 1952. Her older brother Joseph Laguerre died in 1838 in a ship sinking. Her sister Emma died in 1834 at just three years old. Only her sisters Carolina and Martha outlived Julia. Julia married John Berwick Laguerre in 1848 when she was 18. They had two children together, John Laguerre and Hugh Swinton Laguerre. Hugh Laguerre was born the year Julia was married, and Joseph was just six months old when his mother died. Hugh will die in December 1854 at only the age of six. So young. But he will outlive his mother. Over two years prior, in the spring of 1852, Julia was visiting family on Odesto Island when she became so sick with diphtheria that she fell into a coma into a coma. Her family waited for her to wake up, but she never did, and a local doctor declared her dead on April 15th. The family held her funeral later that same day. They'd assumed death was coming uh, coming for her for a while. Julie was buried in her husband's family tomb at the Presbyterian Church in Odesto Beach. A heavy marble door sealed the entrance. 
On uh, a May 4, 1852 issue of the Charleston Daily Courier reported, Died in Charleston on the 16th April, Mrs. Julia G. Laguerre, wife of John B. Laguerre, and youngest daughter of the late William Seabrook in the 23rd year of her age. Fifteen years later, when it was time to bury another family member, a crew of men removed the marble door at the, of the tomb. And shockingly and incredibly tragically, they found Julia's remains crumpled on the ground. Uh. Some accounts of the story claim that they also found scratches inside the tomb on the stone walls and door. Historians believe these details were added for dramatic effect. However, their horror at the discovery and what they discovered, that seems to have been all too real. The family realized they'd accidentally buried Julia alive. Modern doctors believe that Julia's pulse and breathing had likely dropped so low that without special modern equipment, the attending physician couldn't tell she was alive. And that Julia then woke up from her coma after she'd been sealed inside that tomb. <gasps> she'd managed to escape from her coffin. She'd made it out into the tomb. Once there, how long had she screamed for help before she passed? Her family, after finding her remains on the floor, reburied and resealed Julia inside the tomb once again. And now the story takes a paranormal turn. The next time the family visited the tomb to pay their respects, the heavy marble door was found opened. They assumed it hadn't been secured properly the last time a family member was laid to rest, so they shut the door, secured it to make sure it had been shut this time, and they left. But then a few weeks later, a church leader saw the door was open once more, and there was no reasonable explanation for why the door was found open this time. The church ordered the tomb to be closed. They had no explanation for what had happened. But then it happened again, and again, and again. The strange phenomena of the tomb continually unsealing itself uh, continued well into the following century. Even with chains and locks, at some point, perhaps in the middle of the night, when no one was around, the heavy marble door always managed to open by itself again, before the next time it was to be used. As recently as the 1950s, there are reports of the door opening after being sealed shut. This was a heavy door that required a team of men or special machinery to get it open. There's no way that wind or animal activity could have opened the marble door. At some point during the 1950s, church officials decided just to leave the door open permanently. Then, a short time later, it was completely removed from the tomb. For many years, the marble door rested on the ground next to the tomb. Currently, there's no door at all on the Laguerre uh, tomb or near it. It was completely removed from the grounds at some point. The site is now called the J.B. Laguerre Mausoleum, and Julia's spirit is believed to still haunt it, waiting to greet visitors. Many in recent years have reported the feeling of being watched in or around the tomb. Others have captured unexplainable orbs of light in their cameras. In a 2020 blog post, the author of the post investigated the tomb and claimed to have recorded random EMF spikes. And then when using a spirit box, she said she heard the words, come back, as she was leaving the tomb to explore the rest of the cemetery. Does Julia's spirit still remain inside this tomb? Brandon Coffey, a South Carolina man very familiar with the area, who has taken many pictures of the tomb that you can find online, recently told a journalist, I have visited the tomb many times, and every time I do, there is always a strange energy felt. It is undeniable. If you can really step outside of yourself and imagine the fate of being sealed in a tomb and ultimately perishing there, you can only imagine how much desperation was felt. Perhaps that is the energy I feel when visiting. It's Julia letting people know of her pain so this tragic mistake won't happen again. Julia's life ended after 23 short years due to a tragic medical error, and now her spirit seems to have lingered for more than 100 years in this place, where she died greeting visitors and who knows, perhaps trying to protect others from what happened to her. Hopefully, with the tomb remaining open, maybe someday soon, Julia's spirit will find peace and move on. I doubt it. 
The damage has been done. I know what an insane, as far as like an insanely horrible way to go. Well, and the fact that, the fact that she got out of her casket is like because okay, <sighs> you you wake from the dead, so to speak, mm-hmm. inside a casket, and immediately are panicked. Right, right, freaking out. If I can just get out, if I can just get out. So you get out thinking like, oh my god, I have a chance. Right, like she was maybe somehow able to like rocket out of the wall, and then you know uh, I'm not sure exactly the way they put her in there, but that's what I would guess, oh and, and then god. somehow break out of it. And then you think like, oh my God, I've gotten out. And now you're inside this stone tomb with these huge, thick marble walls. No one lives nearby. Uh, you know, no one's necessarily going to visit in time, which they didn't. And you're screaming and screaming. I mean, I, I would imagine it's fairly soundproof. Yeah. I mean, that is a nightmare. That is a true nightmare. And I just think about like, you have no water, you have no food, you have no sustenance. So you're using every last bit of energy you have. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hopefully she passed out soon into the ordeal and then didn't, I know. didn't wake up. Like just pass out from dehydration or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. that is truly a nightmare. Eek. She has every right to come back and be vengeful if she yeah. wants to. I have a few picks. This first one is uh, Adesto Beach, South Carolina. So it's a uh, beautiful. Oh, yeah, it is pretty. A little touristy area. Uh, this next one is the old Presbyterian church and accompanying cemetery on okay. the island where she was buried. Old cemetery, and then this is the Lagar Laguerre tomb. Oh man! And then just one more pick from the inside of the Laguerre family tomb. Yeah, that's Oof. terrifying. What a terrifying place to wake up. Yeah, and I don't know where she would have been placed and all that. I don't know. I don't know how that works in those tombs. Or I'm sure it varies from place to place, era to era. But maybe they just set the casket down, and then they kind of like. Once she's reduced to more just the, the down to just like bones and they maybe they put the bones in the wall. I don't know what they did in this one. Well, yeah, because I didn't think about the casket being in the wall. That doesn't seem plausible that she would be able to get her casket out of a wall. Right. So maybe she would just lay down there in the casket. And then later when, yeah, they're reduced to more just bones. I think a lot of times they put the bones in almost like a little box. Yeah. And then put that box in the wall. Uh, I know that's how they've done it in some tombs, but I don't know about there. That is just, mm. it made me think of, okay, I wrote it down. Mm-hmm. That show that we watched, The Sinner. Oh, yeah. I yep, think yep, it's yep. like season mm-hmm. two, no, season three, I want to yeah, say. With, yeah. I can I can picture the like the young, it's like this like young, cute, white guy. He, I think he was on like, not suits, but something like yeah. some show kind of like that. Uh, but he... Gets in himself way in over his head with the detective, and they do that like trust mm-hmm. exercise about like being oh, buried alive. No thanks. Watching it had me in such a panic. That is a terrifying. What, I mean, what do you do if you're mm-hmm. being buried alive? What would know. you do? I don't. I don't. I don't have a way to get out of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a great show, by the way. A great show. Like if I'm stranded out at sea, we've talked about this about like the sneaker waves. Like okay, swim, swim across, swim across. Like you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. Like we've got like all these. You know, if you think this is happening, like if you're on fire, stop, drop, and roll. Like I don't know, but being buried alive, you're just fucked. You are just fucked. Yeah. I guess you need to like create like a a space to get air around your head but and not yeah, expel like, too but, much energy. I mean, oh it all God. depends on how you're buried because if you're buried under six feet of dirt oh, and, and the casket opens upwards. Oh God. Highly, highly unlikely you're going to be able to push and move that. I mean, it just, I don't know how, how you could do it. You're just, you're screwed. That was something I was really afraid of when I was a kid. Like as, as death was becoming more and more part of my life, just yeah. losing family members. 
you know, we would, my family, I don't think anybody in my family has been cremated. All burials, Man. at least as much as I can. I take that back. My one aunt, but this, that was more recent. Yeah. So when I was little, when I was going to all these funerals, everybody was in a casket and then the casket was closed and the casket was buried, right? Right. And I had these intense, terrifying dreams that I would be buried alive, that the casket would be closed, I would be banging on it, like trying to get out, or that I would be cremated and, yeah. and they would put me on like, I don't even know how I got this image because to this day, I don't 100% know how cremation works. Yeah. Other than a body going into an incinerator, but I would have these nightmares of like being on a gurney, like a, a rolling, and they would roll me in. And, and I was like, no, 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 wait, 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 oh as God. I'm blown to bits. Yikes. I know. It's such a very real fear for me. It's the yeah. same. It comes from the same place as being afraid to have surgery and not being totally under. Yeah. And like not being able to wake up and scream and say, I can feel everything. There was some, I want to say it was in Ireland. There was some funeral I watched a video of, and uh, the guy like asked this like recording to be played like during his funeral before he died. <laughs> and as like he timed it out, but like the way as they're like throwing dirt, he's like, "Wait, no, 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 I'm I'm still alive." Like I guess he was like a really like funny guy. Oh and my so like gosh. they're crying at the funeral, but also laughing at the ridiculousness of what he was doing. But then also I would be like, "Wait, is he? <laughs> is that real?" Like I just I couldn't handle it. I mean, if you were a hardcore practical joker sneaking a Bluetooth speaker into somebody's casket, oh my god! And then like don't you dare after the dirt's been thrown for a while, just like let me out, blue hill. <laughs> There's I find zero humor in that because also then you're giving like weird false hope to everyone that you're still alive. <laughs> that's terrible. Well, that's true. I didn't think of the false hope part. Yeah, that is terrible. Yeah. Oh man. Wow. I'm. I feel like I'm gonna have a nightmare tonight about this. About being buried alive. Yes, it's just too real. It feels too plausible on some. Well, yeah, it's definitely happened. And I, th I think some people have actually gotten out. I, I said that there's no hope. I don't know how you would defy physics enough to pull this off. I don't know how. I mean, if there's some like weird air pocket in the dirt or something. But I guess if if the dirt the dirt is the soil still pretty loose when you're first buried. Yeah. Like somewhat at least more than it's going to be when roots and everything work their way through it and solidifies later. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could push your way up and crawl through. But, but then like as you're do doing you that, dirt is hitting you and your air is not. I don't know how it's possible. How are you even opening the casket from the inside out? Let's start there. Just some Herculean like, you know, adrenaline spike and you have enough strength to do that. I, I don't know. But you are six feet under. So like what you're saying. No, I, I just I just think I can't I can't pull up from memory like a documented case, but I'm pretty sure well, I'm sure we're going to get somebody, an email about yeah, it, so I'm I'll sure. let you know. Yeah, I'm curious. I, th I think I think someone, and I can look it up after the show, has has dug themselves out before. Ah, all right. We'll talk about some other creepy, scary stuff. Okay. I like that the army of Layla's is here. Me too. I, I don't want to take them down. No, I like them. I know. It's a fun little visual. It is. It is. Now, as a reminder, I'm requesting that everyone send Layla's. <laughs> I, just, I just want a whole room of Layla's. And, and by the way, we are so lucky that people send us anything. We, we almost never put the address anywhere. I'm just amazed that um, we What's get What's in the episode description? Right. But, you know, I'm well, I'm amazed that people read the whole episode description. Yeah. They care enough to read it. And then also... People like us. Yeah, no, no. I'm just so thankful. I know. Like, it's crazy. Invested. We're invested in each other. Like, we're invested in telling these stories and telling, bringing a community together and loving our people. And then they love us back. Thank God. It's a beautiful exchange. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, scary stuff. Okay. Were you getting a little misty-eyed? I don't think so. Oh, Okay. <laughs> you just looked a little misty. Huh. Okay. I'm feeling extra grateful. I don't okay, know. Father John Misty. Um, other scary stuff. Yeah. Are you ready to I like am. focus on the spoopy tales? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
driving along dark, scary roads, like that is something that will always get me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more used to it just because of where I grew up, but it still gets me. Mm-hmm. But I know when I took you to where I grew up the first few times, I mean, it gets with no street lamps or anything anywhere around, mm-hmm. man, it gets dark. It gets real dark. And it's still a thing that I kind of complain about around here where I don't know if it's just because I lived in so much of a city mm-hmm. growing up. And then in my early 20s where it was like there were a lot of street lamps yeah. and uh, lights on the freeway. Like even around here, I'm like, how does anybody see anything on the freeway? I love it though, because the less light we have around here, the better you can see the stars at night. I know the noise pollution is rough. Okay. So we're driving. No- noise pollution. Uh Light pollution. Oh, okay. I was, okay. You gotcha. I yeah. you know. Pollution. You know what I mean? Sound, light. <laughs> gets you noisy to see the stars. It gets so noisy, I can't see the stars. So the pollution Fair. gets so loud. Uh, okay. But what if we were like driving down a road together and then something unexplainable either jumps into the road or we see something? Do we keep going or do we stop? What do you think is going to happen? It's you and me in the car. What's, is, what's the debate going to be? This is r- remote be? area at night? Let's just say we're driving like Riggins, like you know, a place we've driven okay. that we that maybe you know. Obviously, you know more than I do. Yeah, we see something. What's our move? It all to, for me. It totally depends on where. If we see it at the edge of town, uh huh. Maybe get out and explore. Oh, if okay. we see it uh, fifteen miles uh, away from town and mm-hmm. there's no other traffic by, I don't know if that I'm feeling that brave then. Okay. Uh, at least I have the illusion that someone could help me if I got into trouble. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. even even if they wouldn't do that, if, right? If we're way out on our own. Mm-hmm. I'm much more reluctant to do, to explore. Okay. Well, let's see how these people handle what okay. they see. Okay. Greetings, queen of the spook. I've been a fan of Scared to Death for some time now. It helped me get through long hours in the lab during grad school and definitely provided awesome. plenty of spooks when I was working alone in the lab late at night. I would love to return the favor and hopefully provide some spook for you with my brief encounter with something I still can't fully explain to this day. My twin sister and I were in our senior year of high school in 2014, and we were driving home around 11 o'clock at night after a party. It was a cast party for the theater kids. We weren't (laughs) cool enough for the real parties. So there was no alcohol or drugs, just a lot of singing and very dramatic charades. My sister was driving my dad's truck, and I was in the passenger seat. We were driving down a flat, straight stretch of road that had tobacco fields on either side with two old barns for drying the tobacco. My sister and I simultaneously reacted to a thing that ran into the road. I shouted stop as my sister reached her arm across me and slammed on the brakes. We were way too close to be able to stop in time. In the road directly in front of the car was a vaguely humanoid shape. It was unnaturally thin with bones protruding from under its pale and strangely gray skin. It had long unkempt hair hanging down over its face, but the creepiest part about it was the way that it ran. It ran into the road on its hands and feet in a way that seemed way too natural for any human. It looked up at us, and just like that, it evaporated into nothing. Like a shadow that disappears when hit by the light, it just vanished into nothingness upon our impact. We stopped the car, making sure the doors were locked, and looked behind us, but nothing was there. It was just gone. We had driven that road many times since and tried to recreate the conditions of that night, but never did see it again. I've since moved away, but anytime I visit my hometown and drive down that road, I slow down just in case it ever appears again. Thanks for listening. I hope someone in my hometown would hear this and can relate to it. It would just be nice to know it wasn't just my sister and I. Keep up the spook. Much love. Quinn or Quine. I'm not sure. Q-U-I-N-N-E. Quinny, Quine. But you didn't tell us where you're from, so I I can't help you find other people in your place. Hmm. What do you think? 
Skinwalker? I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess if, if, if we're going to, if that's a real thing, then maybe. I mean, those are always the weirdest ones to me. Like, cryptid is just like uh, the strangest category of all of this to me. Why is that? Because with um, ghosts, spirits, anything like that's not uh, a, a, a physical manifestation that you can like touch on mm-hmm. a regular basis. I mean, I know sometimes their energy does seem to touch people. Mm-hmm. I don't expect there to be a trace of them found later. Like, like you're not. It's not like you're looking for like proof. Uh, you're hoping to find like a, a, a dead ghost. <laughs> like, oh, there's a ghost corpse. Yeah, and there's that spirit. But with cryptids. I'm always like, well, why can't we find the bodies of these things later? Mm. You know, why hasn't anyone found, like, uh, the bones of them? You know, like, because we find bones of so many other animals. But then there is that possibility. It's like, the, the only way they're real to me is if they can shift shapes like a skinwalker mm-hmm. so that they could die as, say, like, a wolf mm-hmm. or, or something known. Mm-hmm. Or if they're able to come in and out of our, you know, universe. Hmm. Like, and, and go into some kind of other parallel universe or something. Well, if you found the bones, I don't think that you would know they're the bones of a cryptid. I wouldn't, but uh, but somebody would, have, some kind of biologist would. Because you think their bones would be made up of something different than our bones? Well, the, the skeleton, I mean, it'd just be a different animal. It'd be an animal we're not used to seeing. It would be a, like, they'd be like, what is this? Mm-hmm. So you're saying it wouldn't just be the bones. It would be like the skin and everything. Or even just the bones. I mean, if somebody found the bones of Bigfoot, those bones aren't going to look like a human's bones. It's going to be a different organism. They're going to be I, taller, bigger, thicker, whatever. But I feel like cryptids are pretty human-esque yeah, but in it has size to be, and shape. But it has to be definitely human. I'm just saying, like, if it was different at all, yeah. some expert, some forest ranger would be like, what some the fuck is this? <laughs> I mean, but seriously, you're coming along with it. They're like, that's not a dude. There's no monkeys around here. You know, that's what is this thing? Yeah. But if they're able to shift, I don't know, if it's like truly magical, then I guess all bets are off. They're just, it's just weird, but it's like, there are a number of stories like this person's story of people seeing some weird looking beast thing out in the woods. Well, I don't even think Where the hell do they go? This thing like didn't even sound bestial to me. It just sounded like a weird hunched over human that runs on its hands and feet, which is always so creepy. Mm -hmm. That visual alone is like, especially if it's quick. You're not supposed to be able to move fast that way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh God. Just running across. Like, I feel like I could hear its nails hitting the ground with his like long stringy hair in its face, which is like a weird stretched out hunchback I mean, kind no, of thing. <laughs> no person does that. I do it. <laughs> I do it when no one's home. I just think like, oh, this would be really fun if I ran past our front windows like this and the FedEx lady saw me, yeah. she'd be freaked out. Yee. Could, could How it, funny would that be? That's that what I spent my funny. days doing. <laughs> could, could it cryptid? you know, quote unquote, in this situation, be a regular person possessed by something. And then that gives them the supernatural ability to like move in weird ways. Like, you know, you hear about during um, demonic possessions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, people having unnatural weight, people contorting themselves into weird positions, moving, having unnatural strength. (laughs) Like, like what if some of these cryptids are like possessed people scurrying about out into the woods? And then when they die, it's just a human body. Well, that, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, that yeah. like when a cryptid dies, it would just be human. That creeps me out to think about that. Like you're out in the woods and there's just some like demonically possessed, like just a little entity. What does it do? <laughs> that's really creepy. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it creeped you out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, are you are you ready for more Dark Roads? We have a little bit of a theme this week. I like it because... God, that would haunt me just like it haunts, uh, and, and again, however he's like Quinn or Quinny, however, however it haunts them. Yeah. Yeah, I would think about that in moments for the rest of my life. Like, what was that? Anytime you would be driving down a dark road. Mm-hmm. And and not what, what like also was particularly 
creepy is that it was a space that she had been before, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't like, oh, I was on this long road trip and, you know, mm-hmm. roads that were unfamiliar to me and scenery. And yeah. no, it's like, nope, I go down this road all the time. And still, whenever she goes home, so huh? you're going to have that muscle memory of like, oh, I should be scared right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's go to Oklahoma and see uh, <laughs> what's happening on the roads here. This story kind of cracked me up because it it is scary, but it's just uh, the way that the author tells it is just like kids say and do creepy ass shit when yes. they're like little kids. And so yeah. I, I can appreciate how they kind of like brushed it off until the tail end where you're like, oh, maybe not. Okay. Okay. okay here we go. Hey, all you ghoul cats and kittens, my spoopy nod to Tiger King since I'm from Oklahoma. My husband and I have been fans of dance comedy for years now, and we were so excited to finally see him live in OKC this year after a few years of trying to get to a show. Oh, that's nice. Time Suck popped my podcast cherry back in 2017, and since I have been full steam ahead on the bad magic train. Some other fun but random nuggets I found out this year is that I have the same birthday as Dan. And my husband and I share the exact same anniversary as y'all. Oh, wow. All right. Niceties aside, now let's get into the meat of the story. Today, I want to share something that happened with my nephew. My nephew is four, and he and I have a great relationship. He always loves getting to hang out with my husband and I, and he especially loves getting to come to our house to see our two cats, Sunshine and Willow, our two dogs, Roxy and Indigo, and our two new sheep, Lambo and Fleecewood Mac. Fleecewood Mac. That's a solid, solid sheep name. That's epic. Plus, he always gets candy at our house because, you know, I am the fun aunt after all. A few months back, my nephew came to stay with us for his first overnight stay where we made a blanket fort, ate ice cream, and watched movies. Previously in the evening, we had decided to go into town for dinner, just the three of us. On our drive home from town, we always like to take the back road where there's less traffic and beautiful views of the Oklahoma sunsets and some wooded areas where we often see wildlife. As we drove home from dinner, it was just starting to get dark out when we drove past a particularly dark and wooded area. I heard my nephew from the back seat say, there's a ghost man over there in the trees. At the time, I didn't think much of it because I feel like little kids are prone to saying unexpected and often creepy things. But a few weeks later, as I was driving home from work on that same back road, I had to take a detour because the stretch of road near that same wooded area was blocked off and there were emergency vehicles everywhere. It was not until a few days later when the news report came out that we found out the cause of the road closure. The cops had found human remains in the woods. The remains belonged to a local man that had had a huge fight with his girlfriend a few weeks prior in which she kicked him out. The man had took a shotgun and went out to the woods and took his own life. All of this happened right before the weekend when my nephew stayed with us and he told us about the ghost man he saw in those very same woods. Hugs and kisses, gossip girl. So anonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that that, that is an interesting tandem with that story just to have those details later after the nephew said what he saw and Uh just like saw some like, you know, guy out in the woods or, you know, ghost out in the woods. It really got me because it's Mm. like how many times has your kid, niece, nephew, whatever. Yeah. Uh, been with you and like I just think about Kyler and your mom like when your mom was babysitting <laughs> Kyler a mm-hmm. hundred moons ago and he he said something about the ghosta mm-hmm, the ghosta yeah and your mom like hightailed her <laughs> ass into bed with Kyler like little kids as we believe here are prone to be more susceptible to seeing things and have a a closer connection to the other side so like I just think that yeah 
you probably did see this guy's ghost. How could a little four-year-old know any of this? So it's not like he was setting it up. Yeah, because I'm guessing that uh, he didn't do this all the time or, or they wouldn't have taken it seriously. Right. Like, like if he was seeing ghosts everywhere, if that was like his his thing. Yeah, uh, like, like some kids have a blankie. Some kids see ghosts all the time. Yep, going through a phase of like, there's a ghost. Oh, there's a ghost. Oh, there's uh, a ghost. Watching too much Scooby-Doo. <laughs> right. But not doing that and then seeing that right where this person did die. Oh, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It made yeah, me it really is. uncomfortable. All of these. Yeah. I'm just having like uh, today just really thinking about like, man, there's just so many stories. Like, yeah. Why? Why? Why does it happen? What does it mean? I don't know. I, I feel I feel like the person that Alma uh, Fielding from mm-hmm. uh, the story I was telling earlier today, like, 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 even though I haven't had that experience to me, I just so desperately want to know like, why? Why do we see these things? Yeah. Like, what does it mean? Maybe nothing. Yeah. Which is something though. It it means that there's more to life than what we can scientifically prove right now. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So where the hell does that energy go? Like, why does it show up looking kind of like we do in this life? It's just, it's also weird. Mm -hmm, It is. Mm -hmm. You can get real existential on it. It's like, yeah. Spiral out pretty far or stay here. (laughs) Uh True. True. Okay. Well, let's just hop right into this uh, next tiny little story. More driving. I like these little ones. I know. It's I like kind of fun. quick little vignettes. Of, yeah. 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 And I like to, um, you know, remind fans, like, you don't have to have, you know, some huge 30,000 word mm-hmm. story. Just send in what you've got and we'll find a way if it, you know, we filter through it and look at what we're doing right now. Some of the shorter ones are the scariest ones to me. I know. Just right in, like, mm-hmm. oof, right to the punch. All right. Here we go. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. Long time peeper, first time writer. <laughs> now, this is going to be a short one, but it still gives me the creeps. My family used to live in a small, one-story house when I was maybe in third or fourth grade. The house that the house was at the end of a no-outlet street, so no one, uh, no neighbor to the right. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. The house was at the end of a no-outlet street, so one neighbor to the right, behind, and to the left is a dead end. My sister and I were hitting a volleyball back and forth in the middle of the street. With it being a dead-end street and nighttime, we knew we wouldn't be in any risk of hitting or even getting near another car. Mm-hmm. While we were laughing and playing, around the corner comes a school bus, very slowly, just passing by the front of our house with a single back light illuminating the driver's seat. Both of us froze with fear as it slowly rolled by. It started to pass the dead end we were on, and I could see directly into the bus. No one was driving. (laughs) My sister and I finally came to our senses and ran into the house. We never told our parents or spoke of it again. It became such a distant memory that I had convinced myself it was a dream turned a little too real, but I never quite forgot. That experience always lingered in the back of my mind as some terrible nightmare I just couldn't shake. Years later, when I was in my early 20s, I finally broke and asked my sister, Hey, Do you remember when we were kids playing outside late at night and that school bus drove by? Her face immediately fell and she replied, the one with no driver. And with that one statement, she confirmed everything I had tried to rationalize away my entire life. Love the podcast. You're both amazing storytellers. Keep it up. Oh, that's nice. Um, Yeah, what a weird thing. I mean, I would try and talk myself into believing that like, Okay, we were little. There was somebody driving the bus, right? And we just couldn't see him because of the like the view obstruction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but I don't know exactly what angle they saw. And if they saw like now, I'm picturing like if the bus is coming towards you and maybe like make, making a turn by you, and, and you can see because with a bus from the front, I mean, 
you for sure know if somebody's driving it or not because yeah. if you can't see them and they were then they're too short to be driving the bus <laughs> like they can't see out the windshield <laughs> yeah 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 so so you definitely would see them there and then if they pass by you're just not and then kind of from the back where you're looking down the aisle i mean again unless the driver was very very short tall enough to see over the dash just like a slight build but yeah but not but not tall enough for their head to stick up over the back of the seat i don't even know how that would be possible like maybe the angle I don't know. Yeah. It, it seems like you would know if there was somebody there or not. I just think about it. It's a really creepy visual. They were like, you know, in this cul-de-sac, this like U-turn thing. So mm-hmm. they're playing volleyball here mm-hmm. and the bus has to go by this way. So you are seeing it from all angles. Yeah, yeah. Because it has to turn around. Well, no, it didn't go down the one way. It just drove. I don't think it, I think it oh, just went gotcha. past I, I, you the street. Oh, gotcha. said cul-de-sac. I was thinking of like the end little, like where there's no way out. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Just, yeah. So it's like you're here, like playing in the street, mm-hmm. and it just is going to go by. So you're going to see it from the front, the middle, the side, the back. Like you're seeing it from all angles, other than the other side of the bus. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yee. And for her sister, all those years later, to be like, yeah, no, for sure. Mm-hmm. Saw that too. Uh, first time I've heard of that of a uh, of someone seeing like basically like the ghost of a vehicle. <laughs> like yeah, like, like you know, like where there's or no... a ghost driving a vehicle. Right, right, right. Yeah, like was it a real bus? But there, I don't know. Who I don't knows? know. I didn't. I actually didn't even think about the fact that it could have been like a phantom bus. Yeah, just like the the apparition of a bus. I not. suppose that's that's the most probable thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think of that because there there are stories. I mean, I've never heard of one minus the driver, but there are right. stories of like somebody got in a car accident in this road, mm-hmm. and you can still see their headlights coming coming by sometimes, and you can still see them drive by mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But I've never heard that I can recall of just seeing the vehicle sans the person that should be driving it. Yeah, no, that's you make some good points, Dan Cummins. I don't know if they matter, but thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> they're, well, they're not helpful. Well, just more things to think about. No, but but I mean, I, I think it's helpful because then. It takes your brain to a different place, then you can explore yeah. a different train of thought, and then, you know, then that helps open your brain up in other ways to other stories, mm-hmm. for okay. better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, one more? Yeah. Okay, so this one's not about driving. Whew, take a little breather from the driving, but this one does involve one of your least favorite things, mirrors. Mm. And I, this this tale, it doesn't have, like, any massive, like, jump scares or anything, but to me, it's more of, like, a fact-finding mission, and I think that it confirms a very cool wild and interesting uh connection and i I just really really enjoyed this uh yeah so i i thought i would share it with you and we can talk a little bit about mirrors at the end okay okay hello to my favorite podcast i found you two this past halloween by chance and have been hooked ever since what got me was the mention of the name riggins dan's Mm. hometown as it is my last name i get a kick out of it every time I listen to your podcast while I walk my dogs in the very early morning hours while it's still dark and no one is around. Thoroughly engrossed in your fantastic stories, I usually get creeped out by the rustling of leaves at every corner thinking it's a monster or a ghost coming out of the darkness. That's a great time to listen. Mm -hmm. My story is one that goes back to my youth. Growing up in a very old house, well over 100 years old, there were always stories that it was built and owned by one of my town's first dentists. He did not have his practice in the house, so dissuade yourselves from any dentist's horror stories. Instead, the story deals with his wife. The story begins in the late hours of the night when I was young. I could not have been more than five years old at the time of my first encounter with the dentist's wife. Sometime in the night, after my parents had put me to bed, I awoke in the darkness to see a woman in the hall outside of my bedroom door. She was there, but not really there. Not completely translucent, but not completely there either. 
This figure was adorned in a long dress that looked as if it came from the late 19th century. She stood in the hall, facing away from me, towards the wall. From what I could tell, she looked as if she were fixing her hair in the mirror. Only there was no mirror there anymore, just the wall of the hallway. This was odd. She was not my mother or relative or any of my mother's friends. In fact, I don't know where my parents were in all of this, if they were in their own bedroom or if they were still downstairs. There was no time to think about any of that, and out of curiosity, I moved from my bed to creep to my door to get a better look. I do not remember being afraid or feeling any malice coming from this figure. Instead, I crept around the corner of the door to watch this figure adjust her hair. After, uh, a soft murmuring came from her lips, and for several moments I just stared at her. I stared at her until her movement in front of the non-existent mirror stopped. Suddenly, she turned her head towards me as, uh, as I took in her features. Instantly, she raised a finger to her lips and gave me the very distinguished shush <laughs> and as if to tell me to stay quiet i instantly turned from the spot and raced back to my bed all along the way i could feel her eyes on me leaping into bed i took another look out into the hallway to find the woman was gone no trace of her the next day after relaying the story to my parents they said the very logical explanation of it just being a dream many times after this first encounter my parents would tell me that my imagination was one running wild even though i had had a very vivid image of the woman's face in my mind perhaps it was just a dream perhaps it was just my imagination but this was more than that and the story doesn't end here years later my family and i visited the local historical society museum the, the museum is an old building filled with artifacts of the city's founding. Its walls are clad with old photographs of the city's founding residents. Walking in and looking around, I froze at one particular picture. My heart raced. It was a picture of the woman I had seen all those years ago. Once again, my parents hmm. told me that it was just me putting an image to a memorable dream. That I, that I saw the first woman in a dress like that, the one I remembered the woman in and associated it with her. Once again, a very logical explanation. Yet it wasn't. This was the woman I had seen all those years ago, adjusting her hair in an empty wall where a mirror should have been. I couldn't forget that face. Being the history nerd I am, I wanted to learn all that I could about the woman in the photograph, knowing it was the woman I had seen. So we researched the name listed in the photograph at the Historical Society using their records. And lo and behold, the name that popped up was the name of the dentist's wife. The dentist had built our home. Hmm. I made notes about everything that I could. There wasn't much, though. Just the year she and her husband had come to our town, built the house, and when she died. There was no mention of where she died, and my parents could not find any logical explanation for this development. Fast forward a few years. I was in high school, working the graveyard shift at a local restaurant. I would not get done until 2 or 3 in the morning. Exhausted from a late shift, I would usually crash on the couch to eat and watch TV before heading to bed. One morning, I followed this same ritual. Sitting in my living room after getting back from work, I lifted the remote to the TV, and looking back at me from the black reflection of the television was the woman. There she was, standing behind me, just standing there. I was not afraid, but frozen for a moment in shock. Still clad in the long dress, she looked back at me. After a brief moment, frozen in place, I turned around only to see nothing behind me. Yet she was still there, looking back at the blank TV was her reflection. You were just tired from work, my parents logically told me, but I knew what I had seen. It was her. Later that day, I looked at all the information I had collected from the Historical Society years ago. What I found made my heart leap, 
That day, in the early hours, I had seen the woman again. That was the day the record showed that she had died. Once again, something that could not be explained. My story's almost over, so thank you for your patience if you've kept up this far. (laughs) When I was ready to move out and into my own house, I was helping my parents clean out the basement. Most of everything there was old storage bins, but a few items left behind by old residents of the house from years prior. In a dusty corner, I found something. A mirror. An old mirror with an ornate wooden frame. Dusting it off, I thought it would look great in my new house. Before I could even get it there, my rambunctious dogs accidentally knocked it over in the move, shattering the mirror. Thankfully, no one was hurt, but in breaking the mirror, they found something hidden within it. Sealed away when the sealed away from when the mirror was likely made was a newspaper clipping. A newspaper clipping for nearly 100 years prior. A newspaper clipping of an obituary. The obituary of the dentist's wife. All the dates and information lined up with what the historical society had found. I wanted to have the clipping preserved somehow. It was in remarkable condition for having spent nearly 100 years behind an old mirror plate. The last night I spent my childhood home was the last I saw of it, though. The next day, the newspaper clipping was gone without a trace. We looked everywhere, even the trash, but it was nowhere to be found ever again. I have not had any other encounters with the dentist's wife. There was no fear or malice coming from her, and I can still remember her face vividly. Perhaps there's a logical explanation behind everything. Yet for me, there are far too many coincidences to explain it away. Thank you for having followed me along. Keep making great shows and scaring the pants off me and my dogs, Mr. Riggins. <laughs> Mr. Riggins. What a yeah, interesting detail of the newspaper being hidden back there. And at first, yeah. I, first before it disappeared, I was like, well, maybe she was really fond of that mirror. And then the dentist maybe put it there. Like, I don't know, some weird tribute. I don't know why you do that. Yeah. But, but it, like, what a weird coincidence. But then when it disappeared, I'm like, okay, was it actually ever there then? I don't or, know. Or just some spirit like giving you confirmation that what you thought was right and that that was the, the person mm-hmm. looking in the mirror. Yeah, that's a very... I wonder, like, what would have happened if the mirror wouldn't have broken? Mm-hmm. When the mirror's being transported, I mean, obviously, I didn't know that the uh, being shattered was going to come up. I thought where it was going was he would brought the mirror into the new home mm-hmm. and then caught that same spirit that he saw at the end of the hallway, like it was looking into a mirror when it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe either in the mirror, because that would be creepy. Oh, yeah. Uh, or, or, like, now see that spirit looking into that. Like, 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 like the spirit was attached to the mirror. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, uh, I I would venture to say she probably, her spirit probably is attached to that mirror. And mm-hmm. I wonder if it was just like some gift that her husband bought for her when they mm-hmm. moved into that house. And maybe, you know, she did fix her hair in that mirror and it probably did hang in the hallway. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all have our routines and our ways of doing things. And so when she died, you know, just yeah. more over to what you were saying, it is entirely plausible that the dentist husband clipped the article Put it in the back of the yeah. mirror. I mean, who knows what his intention behind that was other than, like yeah. you said, she loved that mirror. It was something special to her. and Could have been a very special gift. I mean, mirrors at some points in history, especially big ornate mirrors, mm-hmm. that wasn't like a little item. That no, was uh, something very expensive. Very, yeah, expensive, fancy, you know, yeah. uh, something you'd be thrilled to get. Yeah. You just take them for granted now. It's like, yeah, well, what house doesn't have a mirror? Yeah, what house doesn't have like 100 mirrors in it? <laughs> right. Plus you have an iPhone if you don't. So you just kind of can look at yourself anytime you want. Uh-huh. But at one time it was, you know, unless you were just 
like like one time a lot of people had to go basically find water to catch the reflection in. right they didn't ha- they didn't own a mirror which is so weird to think about now yeah no, i mean they would think it's so opulent now like oh my god so many mirrors Ooh, mm-hmm. yeah How decadent yeah i just i really i really like that story like i said it wasn't particularly scary in any way mm-hmm. but i like every so often just a good solid confirmation tale which i feel as though we really got out of that tale like mm-hmm. yeah a few little things happen and it it is more than coincidence in my opinion that it all lined up and happened to have he saw her again like on the day of her passing mm-hmm. all those years later mm-hmm. yeah maybe she just likes the house yeah maybe she's just not ready to go I, I like that smattering of smaller stories okay well i'll keep that in mind for the future that was, that was a nice yeah just a uh, change of pace and just to get like a bombarded by so many different possibilities in a short amount of time is cool. Oh, okay, good. Good, good, good. Do you want to do some Annabelle shout outs? Sure. Okay, go right ahead. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Justin Yoder, Bailey C, Sky Hawk, Brian Ashley, Moon Sunburn, Holly Regan, David and Sarah Kogel, Vaughn Franklin, Emma Fag, uh, two Gs. I feel like I need to point Tell that out. Fag. Okay. Okay. I didn't know. How to, yeah. I was like, I was like, ooh. And then wanted to make sure two G's. Um, so yeah. Uh, Haley Seams. One S. <laughs> one S Jess. I was like, what? One S Jess. But Jess is spelled J-E-S. Very uh, good. Brandon, Michelle Roller, uh, Chantrell, Noel, uh, Melanie Souls or Souls, Raleigh Staba or Rayleigh Staba, uh, Chastity Upton, Tammy Stokes, Philip. Just Philip. Uh, Clint Married to Murder podcast. Oh, okay. Uh, Amy Corvin Burke, Jeff Tierney, uh, Katya something, and uh, Joanne Orellana. I know the tough names this week. I like Katya something. <laughs> like, why bother? <laughs> I would like to thank the following Annabelles for helping us to donate to the Compassion Fund this month Jeffrey Harvey Jr., Zoe Brooke, Abram Wu Garapi. Sydney Soderberg, Brandy and Slayer Rowan, Rhiannon High, Faith Cheyenne, Matthew Walsh, Connie Dunlap, Annette Baber, Sinjin and Krista Robinson, Charles Withrow, Colby Avis, Chelsea Lamy, Lammy, Emily and Roman, Corey Sawyer, Robin Jolly, Jessica May Rose Adams, Reed V, Lisa McChrystal. I mean, I really hope that's your last name. <laughs> oh, it's great. Tegan Randall, Erica Parker, Kristen, Jesse and Tristan McBride, and Katie Weimer. And then I have the following spoopy shout outs. Great. Uh, to Austin from Sandy, you are my rock. To Jared from Kesha, can't wait to marry you. I love you so much. Aww. To Benjamin from your Aunt Joey, this is really a tough one. Uh, sweet little Ben, is a, he's a little boy, and he was hit by a car while waiting for his bus oh. and is in critical care. And so his aunt wants to send him some extra, extra love right now to, yeah. to pull through, buddy. We're, we're thinking of you all. Man, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is our show. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, Liz Hernandez for the work on social media. Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com and for producing and directing today. 
Thanks to Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails, and to book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing the listener stories for book number three, which is almost here. Almost here. What's that date? What's that date for pre-orders? The 8th? August 8th? Is the last day for pre-orders. Nice. 8-8. Thanks to uh, producer Olivia Lee for finding the first story I told this week, and Sophie Evans for finding the second. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content. And we have a, and that's at Scared to Death Podcast. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, for horror lovers and just good folk. And if you don't want to hear more ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check our Patreon and get the entire catalog ad-free and so much more. And of course, enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, Fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within scared to death. Add Magic Productions. 